This morning's scripture comes from Matthew. We're going to read two uh, separate passages. We're going to start in chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciple, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died. But come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him. And so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all of the region. Now we're going to jump all the way to the end of Matthew. We're going to hear from Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I don't know what it is about Matthew lately. Uh, Last month when I was at Bethany, um, I also... Uh, shared from Matthew. Uh, It's one of those things I just keep landing back in this book. Uh, So I'm going where, where I feel led here. Now there's something else that is kind of impacting this, because I am here just to share what I'm learning, what I'm wondering, uh, I've said to this group before, I am not a Bible scholar. Pastor Sarah and Jane Ellen can get up here and share very profound theological uh, understandings. 
I am a lay person. I am just sharing what I am taking in. And there's a, a filter that I've been running this through lately. See, I did a training not too long ago about how to train adults. Because of my work, I spend a lot of time doing workshops and trainings and classes with young people. I feel very comfortable in spaces with children and teenagers, uh, but adults kind of freaked me out a little bit. So I took this training to kind of better understand how adults learn. And there was such an important takeaway from this training. So frequently, when we give a big amount of information or we share instruction, we say, do you have any questions? And frequently, no one raises their hand. No one's brave enough to speak up, or if they do, it's just one or two people that might have a clarifying question. That's it. See, do you have any questions is a yes or no question. People have to kind of overcome this, like, do I have questions? No one else is raising their hand. Maybe I'm the only one that doesn't understand, so I'm just going to keep my thoughts to myself. So this trainer, her tip was so simple. Just a little wording change. After you've finished a big amount of information or you've given your instruction, say to the group, what questions do you have? Because now the assumption is, I know you have questions. I want to hear them. It's an invitation into, it's okay to get clarification. It's okay to wonder about things. It's okay to share, I don't really understand what you just said. And it works. I used it just this past week in a training I did with adults, and they had so many things to say. Just a simple, what questions do you have? Not only does it work with people, but I found it also works with myself. As I approach my faith, as I approach the Bible, if I find myself saying, what questions do I have? I'm a lot freer to wonder. I can think about what this means. It's okay to have questions. So starting in this passage from Matthew 9, this kind of section of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, is where Jesus is bringing the kingdom to the people, to the hurt and sick people. He is doing the work that was prophesied in the Old Testament and at the beginning of Matthew. Healing the sick woman and healing the young girl is just one of nine stories throughout this section of Matthew where Jesus is healing people that he's encountering. And throughout these nine stories, Jesus weaves this message of follow me. Join me, follow me in this ministry, come with me. And we see this so simply in Matthew 9.9. I like to imagine this moment of Matthew's just 
doing what he normally does, Jesus comes up and says, you, come with me. Okay, I'll come with you. They have dinner at his house. They're sitting down and eating with other tax collectors, people that are considered sinners, not good people. And this leader comes bursting through the door. My daughter is dead. I need you. If you were Matthew, I'd be freaking out in this moment. What? This man just invited me into this ministry, and now he's being asked to bring someone back from the dead. I don't know what's happening. But Matthew goes. Matthew joins him and follows him and witnesses what happens. Jesus invites Matthew into discipleship. Jesus is bringing his disciples with him as he's doing kingdom work. Now, the United Methodist Church, as they were looking at this, this morning, where we are in the liturgical season, this scripture is one that they suggest. This is on their lectionary for today. And the reflections of those leaders really spoke of movement. How do we move like Matthew moved? How do we respond to the call that Jesus has for us? What does that look like? But as I was going through my filter of what questions do I have? I was feeling the Holy Spirit maybe leading me in a different direction. Not just about our movement, but it had me thinking of this passage in Matthew 28. This is the very end of the book of Matthew. Literally the very end. This is after Jesus' death. This is after Jesus' resurrection. He is appearing to the disciples, and this is the last teaching that he shares with them. He tells them he is king. He tells them, go out, make disciples of nations, baptize them, and remember that he is always with them. Now, this is not scripture or a passage that I really encountered much as a young person. I don't know if it, it was just because I didn't resonate with it, or because of my faith tradition, it wasn't as important as maybe some other scriptures. But when I first started doing missions, I encountered other young adults that were doing missions as a vocation because of this scripture. This idea of the Great Commission was very important in some of their faith traditions. It was taken very literally. If you're going to go out and make disciples of the world and you're going to baptize them, go do it. <laughs> and so they were. And it was interesting to me to see how uh, literal they were taking that scripture. That wasn't something that I had ever thought about. But not just in thinking vocationally or literally. I'm wondering if in this last teaching, Jesus is referencing, like he so often does, his own example. The same way that he called Matthew 
invited him into ministry to get him to move is what he meant when he says, go out, make disciples of nations, and baptize them. So if we are called to disciple, if we're called to help others move, how are we getting this messed up? I was thinking about a couple different things. And I was thinking about the church, not necessarily this church, but kind of the big C church. We get kind of stuck in our four walls sometimes. We get stuck in the building. And when we talk about discipleship or when we talk about mentorship, it's often after people have walked through the doors. If you show up, then we'll get you involved in a Bible study. We'll connect you to this Sunday school class. We'll ask you to be a part of our children's ministry. But that means you have to show up first. And it's not just a church issue. As someone who works in social services, I've seen the same thing play out with us. We have this program or this service, and we'd be glad to offer it to you if you come to our building. If you walk through those doors, we'd be glad to help you. But what if they don't feel comfortable walking in those doors? Or what if they don't feel safe walking in those doors? What if they don't even know where the building is? really doesn't make discipleship very effective if we're just waiting for people to come to us. And I think sometimes the church, big C ambiguous church, does leave its building, but mentally still brings those four walls. Well, this is how we do things. This is the only way that we do things. It's not taking into consideration the community or cultural context of where they are. And as I was thinking about this, there are some kind of local examples. But one that really stuck out to me that was really quite harmful uh, happened when I was living in South Dakota uh, I've shared in here before, back in 2012, I spent a summer living in Manderson, South Dakota. Uh, Manderson is a town of about 700 people. Uh, it's in the southwestern corner of the uh, state of South Dakota in the Badlands, and it sits on the Pine Ridge Reservation, home of the Oglala Lakota people. Now, because of the Dawes Act, you can Google in your own time if you'd like to learn more. The reservation is checkerboarded. Not all of it belongs to the Oglala Lakota. There are huge patches of land that are uh, owned by white ranchers. So there is uh, kind of a small uh, Caucasian community there in, in southwestern South Dakota. So there are a few uh, country churches kind of sprinkled throughout. Now, when I was there, I was there with a mission organization. I was there representing Christians. I was there representing the church 
We spent about 11 weeks in that community bringing in other churches doing their mission trips. Now, we did have to take into consideration that community has a very long and very painful history with the church, in particular the Catholic Church. There are residents that grew up Catholic, that still regularly attend Mass, that still hold very traditional Catholic values, but also have a sweat lodge in their backyard, that also go to powwow and dance and build their own regalia. It's become this blending of cultures because for a long time, state and federal law said those indigenous cultures were illegal. So it's kind of this confusing mix of Catholicism and indigenous practice, and you have to know that walking in. It's not our place to judge, but our place to respect that their tradition looks a little bit different than ours. So we spent a lot of time doing that, trying to be respectful, trying to be learners. But there was a small country church across the street from where we were living, and they, through their denomination, brought in a mission group uh, for about two weeks. They also did some service projects in the community. Um, I believe the church was from Kentucky. Uh, and they ended their time with this huge community barbecue. Now, something else to know about Manderson it sits in Shannon County, South Dakota. And Shannon County and a county in West Virginia toggle back and forth as the poorest counties in the entire United States. If you've seen pictures of Haiti, you've seen what Manderson looks like. It is a third world country inside of our own. There are 35 people living in three bedroom homes. There are people sleeping on the street. There are no jobs. There are very limited opportunities. There's no grocery store. There's no gas station. It's incredibly financially impoverished. So this community barbecue meant a lot. This feast might have been the only meal that some people had that week. And so they gathered lots of community members, and one of their pastors got up and spoke, and then through their faith tradition, he ended his speech with an altar call. The only difference is that altar call was your ticket to dinner. If you didn't accept Jesus into your heart, if you didn't pray the way that they prayed, if you didn't outright confess that you are now a believer, you didn't get to eat. They had brought this very structured version of what they thought church was and didn't think of the cultural context around them, how harmful that was. I've seen similar harm in other communities. We think we know best. We take our own faith traditions or we take our own expectations out into the community and that's still not discipleship. And again, this is not an issue that, that is just 
in the church. Recently, I was having a conversation with a friend that's in the Business and Professional Women's Club with me. She was kind of upset that younger uh, women, newer members, weren't stepping up and taking on responsibility. Why aren't they wanting to do these things? Some of us are tired. We've been doing this for a long time. And I was not about to say out loud what I was thinking in my brain, but the person next to me was brave enough to say it, and she said, have you asked them? Have you invited them in to learn? Do they know that those things need done? Do they know that you want a break? This idea of invitation, of bringing people in and truly discipling them. So as I was kind of reflecting on movement, and not just our own, but how our movement impacts others, I was thinking of a couple ways this has impacted my life very directly. Right after college, I moved uh, to Minneapolis. At the time, I was driving a vehicle that was not very reliable, and I was also kind of sharing it with my brother who was still in college. So as I was preparing to move, my family and I sat down and decided that it was best for me not to take that vehicle. It probably wouldn't make it to Minnesota, and if it did, it'd probably break down once I got there, and what was I gonna do? Well, I thought I'm moving to a city. I'm gonna have public transportation readily available to me. Who needs a vehicle? So I moved to a city that I'd only ever been to once, uh, that I really didn't know well. I only knew about five people with no vehicle. And I grew up here in Meadville, Pennsylvania, where we do have public transportation, but it's limited. And I grew up in a privileged situation where I never had to use that public transportation. I didn't know how to read a bus map. I spent those first couple weeks in Minneapolis so isolated. I couldn't figure out how to get the bus or the train where I needed to go. Thankfully, I could walk to a grocery store in my office so I could still feed myself, but I wasn't really doing anything. And a coworker named Kelly really took me under her wing. And she used to do these dinners where she'd pick a theme or she'd get a new recipe and want to try it out with everyone and she'd invite people in. Sometimes it was just a few, sometimes it was kind of a crowd. And she wanted me to come to these dinners. I lived in South Minneapolis, just below downtown, uh, and she lived in a suburb north of Minneapolis. It's like a 20-minute drive on the highway that cuts through the city. Kelly, I don't know if I can take a bus all the way up to Crystal. I'm going to get lost. No worries, she said. I'll come get you. So she drove down to South Minneapolis, picked me up in my apartment, and drove me back to her home so that I could have dinner. And then afterwards, she took me back to my apartment to make sure that I got home safely. On the weekends, her and her husband would come pick me up and take me to their favorite parks or take me to their church so that I could go with them. 
None of it was on the way. I lived wildly out of the way of everything they were doing, but that didn't matter. They invited me in to their life. They went out of their way to care for me. And I didn't last very long. A few months later, I bought a car <laughs> because I needed transportation that felt familiar to me. But even then, I went to their house regularly. I felt so safe there. And it's folks like Kelly that taught me how to do this with others. Kelly is an, an includer. She wants to bring people into her home and into her life. My gifts and talents look a little different. But recently, a coworker of mine was applying for a leadership opportunity. And for her application, she needed to write an essay uh, about herself. And she was really struggling. She didn't feel like her accomplishments meant anything. She felt like what her motivations were weren't the right motivations. But I have this gift, a talent to reframe things. Dr. Burkholder makes fun of me because one time I told him I was chronically positive and he said it sounded like I had a disease. But I am. I see the silver lining in everything. So I sat with this coworker and we reframed her essay. No, your accomplishments are amazing. Your motivations are just as valid as anyone else's motivations. And we rewrote this essay together. I was just a cheerleader. I got to uh, empower her. I got to uh, encourage her as she came up with the words. We then spent the next couple days emailing this essay back and forth as we refined it, and I got to just celebrate her accomplishments. In my own way, I invited her in. I welcomed her into her own success. So if in Matthew 28, this great commission, we are called to go make disciples. We are called to go baptize the nations. And if we look at Matthew 9 as an example, just ask them to come with you. Invite them in. What does discipleship look like to you? And the beautiful thing is it will look different to all of us. We all have different skills, different talents, different spaces. How are you going to move others as Jesus calls us to share the gospel? If you'll please pray with me. Lord, we come to you this morning as your disciples. God, may we follow in Jesus' example. May it be as simple as, hey, follow me. May we disciple others in our own gifts and talents. May we enter the world as humble learners. May we share the gospel and baptize the nations 
in the way that you have called us. God, we praise you for our word, for your word. We praise you for this ability to say, what questions do we have? In your name we pray. Amen.